It doesn't feel like we should have had that many episodes, but we really did, didn't we? I know, it just flew by. So much to say, that's why. <laughs> I love the pacing of Rainbow's books. I think in most books you sort of get like a nice quick build-up, but so many little peaks and valleys have happened, especially in this one, mm. that it really makes me feel like we're, we're onto something. It's good, you know? Like, yeah. it's, it's been a good amount of like something to engage in every week. We're not just waiting for one big thing. Different yeah. things resolved. Oh, so good. Yes, lots of little little things that build up into a big story, which is great. Um, but what sparked joy for you this week? Well, today we were out of ISO. Um, all four of us are negative for COVID now. For some reason, my husband and I never got it. Yay for vaccination. Yeah, yeah. So I really think that had something to do with it. But um, today we're out of isolation now. So as soon as it got to like midday, I was like, I'm going for a run. And I probably pushed myself too hard because I went for a 5k and it's been about two weeks since I've gone that far. But I was like, it's 5k or 30 minutes, whatever comes second. So I got to 5k and I felt really good about it. <laughs> good work. Very proud of you. Yeah. So that it just felt like being released from a cage yeah um how about you what sparked joy for you this week oh well this morning i just randomly signed up to go do this cross stitch class at like the local adult education center amazing so yeah i was just like on a whim i saw i got an email for it i'm like yeah why not i i did cross stitch when i was in primary school and i just vaguely remember really enjoying it so i'm like why not and it's like pop culture cross stitch so you could choose a pattern that was like star wars harry potter or doctor who so i chose the doctor who one and yeah got to do that for like what four hours this morning just making a start on that so yeah it was really fun it's a really fun craft it's really good for me also just to do something that I'm not like instantly good at like because it's something a new skill right you have to yeah, learn and yeah. so you have to work in it it's good for me to to make mistakes and having to go back and unpick things and then do it again it's really good for me so I'm like yeah <laughs> this is therapy in action I want to text my therapist super proud of you for doing that because I know how hard it is when you're not good at something immediately it's really just annoying with these things where it is just a matter of practice like it's with yeah. me how I'm always saying that I can't draw I really like drawing but I just never do it and so when I'll start I'm be like I can't draw but I know if I just did more of it it would mm. get better but you just don't I'm just like Aww. why am I not immediately amazing get in the bin <laughs> so it's good for me to unlearn that I'm so proud of you and I'm so glad it sparked joy and I also really love those cute little pop culture cross stitches I see a lot of. I think I have the Star Wars patterns and some Harry Potter ones I'll pop the person I buy mine from in the show notes because I think she oh, does really cool. cute cross stitches yeah maybe I'll do cross stitches for all the books that we have done so far and that can be my little tribute for my wall that I need some art for that would be amazing um I showed everyone the cross that you made me for my birthday because ah! someone was like oh I know what everyone's getting for Christmas I'm like well I got an amazing cross stitch so I can 100% recommend it as a gift so I showed them all that's awesome yay oh yeah makes my heart happy well this week you know, before we wrap up the book, we're reading chapters 80 to 86 through the theme Ugh. of meaning. Do you have a story about meaning for us? Okay, I do. First, I need to say that whenever someone talks about the meaning of something, the first gift that pops into my head is Freckle. What does it mean? What does it all mean? And like, I think about this gift like twice a week. I'll put that in the show notes as well because I feel like it's very important and relevant to my entire life. Um, I do have a story about meaning and about how we are kind of in charge of making our own meaning. And also it's a little bit about doing the right thing. So when I was a kid, one of the things my parents did was to make the drive between our house in rural southern Oregon and Boise, Idaho, where my dad's job was based, and back. So like one way, that's about 10 to 12 hours of driving, depending wow. on traffic and snow and um, 
how fast my parents took the stretch between bend and burns. But it was a long trip, no matter how you look at it. On the going to Idaho stretch, you knew where you were almost there when you got to Ontario. On the going home stretch, once you get to the North Umpqua Highway, we were almost there. So that always felt really great. On this particular trip, we were taking two cars back from Idaho. My mom was in the Buick and my dad was in his work truck. And me and my sisters were split between the two cars. And it was late at night or early in the morning when we got to the North Umpqua Highway. My parents had CB radios and they would talk back and forth to each other on their own channel. And like we'd pass the whole trip this way, my mom would sing something to my dad and he would sing something something back to her like now at some point my dad noticed a trio of people walking along the highway this is not a place you want to be walking this particular highway like there are hiking trails that do fall along the highway but they're on the other side of the river but even then you you don't hike at night like it's not safe even if you're not worried about cougars and bears because like the way that the road is built is there's a mountain on one side and hardly any shoulder and then the other side drops off a cliff down to the river Ooh. and there's not much shoulder there either so it's really not safe so the fact that these people were out at night walking on the highway meant they probably weren't there by choice. So my dad slowed down, um, CB'd to my mom what he was doing. He started talking to the trio and he sussed out that they'd had a breakdown and had been walking on this highway for miles and miles and miles. And we're pretty far away from everything else. So my dad, he grew up country. He was like, I can't let them freeze to death or get hit by a logging truck. We've got to do something. And my mom was a soft touch. So she was like, yes, okay. And especially because there were two women in the group and they were just wearing skirts and shawls. Like they weren't wearing out oh outdoor gear. It was probably like 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So it was pretty cold. So my mom Mom was like, yes, we'll take them. My dad was like, yes, we'll take them. We'll drop them back at their friend's house. So at least they've got shelter for the night. It was not more than half an hour out of our way. I had a different response. So I'm a terrified, anxious preteen. And I was like, these people are going to kill us. They are axe murderers. <laughs> what if they are axe murderers? And my mom was like, okay, the man's going to ride in the back of dad's truck. The little girls will be safe in the cab. You can ride up in the front seat with me. The women can have the back seat of our car. Like it's going to be fine. And I'm like, <laughs> But what if they're axe murderers? Axe murderers can be women too, mom. She's like, oh my gosh, okay. Um, <laughs> and I was kind of being a bit hyperbolic because that's just my personality. And she was laughing, but she said, Jennifer, what if they're angels? Ooh. And look, they weren't angels or axe murderers. I mean, maybe they were angels, but they had a normal number of eyes and they didn't once tell us, be not afraid. And I didn't see a single wing or like <laughs> wheel of fire. And they definitely didn't try to murder us. They were just very cold, very exhausted, very thankful women who were so glad to be given a lift in a warm car with big squashy seats. So we dropped them off at their friend's house. We watched them go inside. We waved them off, went on our merry way. A lot longer down the road, we actually saw their car slumped on the shoulder of the road, mm. defeated and broken down. And they had walked for a pretty long time. But having seen their car, I said, oh, they weren't angels. And my mom said, but they also weren't axe murderers, right? We lived. And then the next day. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great story. But um, afterwards, I told the story far and wide about how my parents would let me talk to strangers, but picking up hitchhikers in the middle of the night was perfectly fine, apparently. I was a really fun kid, as you can tell. And for a while, it was like a family joke that anyone we met could be either an angel slash axe murderer. But the thing that I really took from that is that we get the chance to make our own meaning. We can decide to be generous and accept risk, or we can close ranks and be suspicious. We can weigh the risks and try to do the right thing between the two. And when I look back at that story now, it's one of the stories that shows me exactly where I learned to prioritize protecting vulnerable people. Like that is mm. something that I learned from my parents. I mean, the end of the story is really kind of anticlimactic. Like, they really were just people who got stuck mm. and we gave them a lift. And, like, I had built them up in my head to be this threat or this, like, gift, right? But I think we have it backwards because to those people, my parents were the angels. They were mm. the ones who stopped and did the right thing and helped them out. So, yeah, we choose to make our own meanings. And I think that that's really important to remember. We do have the choice. I love that. You know, I joke about being a nihilist, but I'm actually more of an existential nihilist. I think nothing means anything, so therefore you can <laughs> yeah. make it mean anything, right? Yeah. Like, I love a bit of postmodernism. So it's like, yeah, it's whatever you make it mean. That's what it means. So you can bring anything to it. But of course, the whole thing falls down when people bring different meanings to the same thing, which I think we see in this section. Oh my gosh, don't we ever. Mm, thank you for the story. That was lovely. I'm glad they didn't murder you or, you know, you didn't read in the newspaper the next day that there was some massacre down the road. <laughs> Oh, it was, I think for me at the time, I was really like, but we're so close to home. We've been yeah. in the car for nine hours. We have an hour and a half left. Just let me go home. No. It's a long drive. <laughs> it's a long drive. Well, I'll do our chapter summaries, shall I? 
Oh, thank you. So Agatha gets caught between the mage and Ebb. Ebb tells her to run and she does. Ebb protects Agatha and Watford with her life. Simon gives the humdrum everything and thus defeats them. To save Simon from the mage, Penelope casts a spell that backfires in an unexpected way and the mage dies. Lucy, Simon's mother, loves her rosebud boy even though she doesn't survive to see him grow up. And in the end, Agatha flees to California, Penny and Simon get a flat together and Baz is still hopelessly devoted to the worst chosen one ever to be chosen. The whole time I vacillated between like absolute heartbreak for the grown women who are going through the worst moments of their lives and the best and the worst and the mage I just so full of rage at him made all the wrong choices I'm okay let's start with the mage let's just talk about how (laughs) basically his whole life has tried to make meaning of the environment that he's in right like he wants his life to be something more than it is so he has put everything into this prophecy right and what is a prophecy but meaning making from random signs that's what you do when you do that sort of fortune telling right and so like in this section we see him still grappling with that still trying to make meaning Mm -hmm. of this prophecy that has not gone the way that he thought it would but he's also trying to make meaning of all his mistakes right like his mistakes with natasha's death he's trying to make meaning from that being like yeah, well he's trying is, to justify you know, it what is the greater good i'm not sorry you know and even airbees like i wouldn't sacrifice her if the fate of the world didn't hang in the, in the balance but does the fate of the world hang in the balance like it's not any more crucial now than it was two months ago you know but he's making the meaning and he can't let go of the meaning that he's making long enough to see what's actually happened this is the thing mm. that gets me right so like Simon does the thing that he says Simon was not able to do. Yeah. And that should have been enough, right? Like, it should have been, oh, good, the humdrum's defeated. But instead, he was angry because he didn't get the magic, because he felt he was the one responsible enough to do the work that needed done. And his whole thing, as we see, was his reforms. He just wanted to be in charge. It doesn't come back to the humdrum, right? He just wants Mm -hmm. to, like, finish what he started. It's like he becomes power hungry, like all good dictators. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is the thing, that's where I thought expectation came in, right? Because he has yeah. this expectation from the prophecy and expectation for his life because he has created the greatest mage and what that should mean for him. And so he's like, he just doesn't know how to cope with it when it's taken away. But also what really struck me in this section is like, he has this expectation of Simon, right? And Simon has not lived up to it. So he just like destroys Simon in this section. Like that point where he says to him you'll never be enough Simon like I actually physically felt it like a punch to the gut but then he just expected his chosen one to spring fully formed from the womb like Athena or something he never considered Mm -hmm. that he would have to raise a child like you're gonna have a baby you're gonna have to raise him yeah he just didn't want to put in the work so he just ships him off to normals and he makes meaning from that by saying oh I'm sheltering him but Lucy never would have done that Lucy would never have allowed that no no absolutely and I think there's something really interesting about the way that the mage finally sees Simon as his son again like you get from Lucy's perspective you understand that he was kind of all in like he was looking after her he was really worried that she wasn't taking care of herself she in her way didn't want him to know how devastating the pregnancy was like she was running fit on magic and you know she was trying to make it work for him which is a very like that was a very hard section for me to read like I just felt so much that she was giving her life force up by inches to please someone who wasn't appreciating it but I do think that the mage finally does see Simon as a son again when he sees the humdrum like that's when he he gets like he's already unassigned the greatest mage and he realizes that there's this vulnerable child there and you know he's he's kind of said it in a few different ways like I thought we had done it at great cost. Like there was a great cost with that. He even mentioned it back in the beginning. Like, where's my wife? Where, where's my family? What do I get from this? Mm. So he feels like he's making these sacrifices for a reason, but like he really didn't have to. And then he says, it's you on the day I found you. His eyes are wide and soft. My boy. And like that just killed me because I feel like that's the moment he really realizes what he did. But it only lasts for that moment, you know? Yeah, and then the humdrum says, I'm not anybody's boy. Because, of course, he, Simon's not. Where were you? You weren't there for him. You're still not there for him. And I get, like, there was no time for this, like, you're actually my child and your mother was this. But, like, he never would have said those things because he was so invested in the, the narrative of, I've found the chosen one. Which is the meaning that he's made from the prophecy, right? Mm-hmm. He saw what he wanted in the prophecy, even to the end, you know, like he says to Simon, you know, the f- when Simon tries to tell him the humdrum is because of me, he still says nonsense, you know, page 476. The humdrum was foretold, foretold the greatest threat to the world of mages has ever known. Like, he he's so in it that he cannot see that the greatest threat exists because you've done this thing like Mm -hmm. these this is causation right like yeah 
he can't see it. He just makes, he sees what he wants to. He finds the meaning what he wants to. And I think we see that a lot. Like even, you know, everyone is trying to make meaning of what they see in front of them, even without mm. really knowing what it is. Like Agatha turns up, she sees the single tire tracks, right? So she's like, oh, mm. the mage is here and the mage will help because they all have an expectation that the mage is still the good guy. Yeah. You know, Simon turns up, he sees the mage over Eb and he just makes the meaning that, oh, the mage is trying to help her. I won't interrupt, you know? Yeah. And oh, Penny, gosh. you know, Penny's like about Baz. He's got a mad glint in his eye for Simon. If he gets a chance <laughs> to stab him in the back, I think he might take it. Like she's making that meaning from the context that she has. Yeah. Penny's relationship with expectation really gets me. Like this whole time we've been looking at the way that she's so definitive. Mm. Oh no, that's not how it works. This isn't how it works. It doesn't work like that. No, Simon, it doesn't work like that. Your magic can't work like that. But then it does. And she's like, how did you do that? But she doesn't really like ever adapt. She just has the same set of expectations. And then like, she's like, wow, what an anomaly. But she doesn't like think that it could be different for anyone else. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. She doesn't shift her, her evaluation, right? She's yeah. Like, this is my, my frame of reference and this is the frame of reference I will use forever and anything that happens outside of that frame of reference is like oh well that's it's neat an, but... it's an aberration it can't be yeah. true how are your friends with Simon Snow for literally nearly a decade and not figure out that like he just does magic different it's just different for him Simon breaks my heart in this section mine too he is losing what meaning he has had his entire life right like since he's come into this world of mages he's been given meaning he's been given a sense of what his life is going to be and in this he's just like losing it and then mm. afterwards we see him like trying to make meaning of what's happened to him so the way he does that by you know saying I don't think it was ever my power I don't know how the mage did it but you know I'm a normal and then he says to Baz you know I don't belong with you anymore because he has yeah. this thing about you know the world of mages is for magicians is for mages is for people with magic because they've created this really exclusive society that is so impenetrable to others yes. but it's also the only place that Simon has ever belonged that's the only place he's ever felt like worthy or like he had people who cared about him and now he yeah. feels like he can't be with those people because he's not magic like this is so toxic yeah and it kills me that he doesn't he doesn't feel like he belongs and he's never really felt that way like he wants to belong but he doesn't really feel like he belongs because his magic has never worked right like he said like oh I'm back at Watford which is home but it's like the hopeful home yeah I think Watford is so interesting in terms of what it means to Simon like you just said and for Baz as well like for yeah. Simon it's the symbol of belonging it's this thing that he should belong to but he can't quite get there you know he's telling himself he belongs and there's a sense of community and this thing that he's really striving to and for Baz you know it's something he clings to because of his mother but it's also this massive seat of trauma for him right like yeah. what is that great line when he says on page 499 you know this was always the place that was taken from her and the place she was taken from me it was like going to school in occupied territory the thing I picked up from that the interesting parallel I picked up from that is that Simon and Natasha Grimpitch are very similar. Mm. They both make lists of the reasons that they love Watford. They both loved magic and wanted to protect magic. Like, the first thing that Simon did when he realized it was him was like, well, I've got to go tell the mage and he'll probably kill me, but I have to go tell the mage. Like, he'll always do the right thing. Yes, and I think that was, for me, as like an expectation he has of himself, right? He's always mm -hmm. going to do the right thing. He's always going to fight the good fight. You know, he's going to turn himself in. Even on page 473 when he says, you know, I hope I'm not too late to stop whatever needs to be stopped to help whoever needs to be helped yeah that is who simon is it's regardless of the magic the magic is secondary and like baz tries to tell him that you know he tries to say to him you know you are brave and selfless and clever something i really struggle with is like this idea of meaning as an implied significance right like baz yeah. expects simon to understand his meaning when he says these things he needs simon to read between the lines and know that what he's actually saying is simon you're important to me but simon can't trust anything and while baz thinks he's saying it he's not saying it in a way that simon can actually absorb you know yeah, yeah. it just doesn't land and so they have this conversation at the ball but it's like it's simon's so not hard. really hearing him you know he's mm. not really absorbing it it's just it's because of the confirmation bias, right? Like, he always felt like he was a failure, a fraud, a fluke. And to have the mage tell him this right before he died. Mm. And then, of course, Simon is carrying around this guilt, like, I killed him. I mean, he I, look, I don't think he really did. I think that Penny, Penny and her, her spell, you know, she said, Simon says, and the next thing he said was, stop hurting me. And then the mage died. Like, the implication is that the mage was always going to use and hurt Simon, and then he would yep. never stop hurting Simon. Yep. Like, there wasn't and an existence he could have where he wasn't going to hurt Simon. 
Exactly. Like, making him stop hurting Simon was, like, it was too much and he, he had to die or something. I don't, like, it, it was like just, he couldn't yeah. be anyone else, you know? There was no future in which he wasn't going to hurt Simon. His very existence yeah. was hurting Simon, right? So Yes. Yeah. You know, it's that literal meaning of what they're saying. But also, I just think that's no one's fault. That is the mage's fault. That is the mage mm-hmm. being incapable of not hurting his own child. That's not Simon's fault. It's the exploitation, right? Like, he, yeah. was, he was made. And in order to make it work for himself without Lucy there, he crafted or made meaning of this idea that he would hide him among the normals and then fulfill the prophecy in a different way. And it drives it me just wild because he says all these things to Simon and I just hate him for it. I hate that he says to him, you know, you're not, you'll never be enough. You know, he tells him, he basically tells him he's not good enough, which Simon just absorbs because he already believes it about himself. And then we have this beautiful chapter from Lucy, which is oh all the gosh. things that Simon needs to hear that he'll never ever hear. I'm just going to read this section. Please do. Because I think Lucy deserves it. So it's page 490 when she says, I saw you, I held you, I wanted you. That's what I came back to tell you. I loved you before I met you and I loved you more the moment I held you. And I never meant to leave you so soon. I would never have left you. It gets me every time. It's just so much. Like, you know, this expectation she had that she'd be a mother, that she'd raise Simon, that she'd have this little family. and I know. And Simon deserves to hear that. And she deserved to get it. I never would have left you. And then the first thing the mage does is leave him. With his name written on his arm and no date of birth, nothing. Like, he doesn't know that he was born on the solstice. And then he doesn't help him. You know, he talks about how he has that really disparaging comment about Eb where he's like, no wonder Simon follows her around like a lost boy. I'm like, no, she's the only one who has given any kind of comfort to Simon, who has taken the Mm. time to, like be there for him they have mutual loss of course they are drawn together it's not about the power and also just giving him the time of day which is something the mage has never done like even in the way that he's tried to like use simon he's never Mm. given him he's never nurtured him and simon would have followed him he was already following him on a scrap right imagine if the mage just gave him a little bit more yeah it was on page 477 you know he goes i've known all along that i was a fraud it's such a relief to hear the mage finally say it and to hear that he has a plan i just want him to tell me what to do like he wants adult leadership in his life so badly this is the opposite of all of the kids at hogwarts going off and never telling dumbledore or mcgonagall anything like he's like please let me tell an adult who cares about me and they just don't exist in this plane in this world like it is so hard for him to find an adult to talk to yeah it's like agatha says on page 511 but i think simon was the only one who really loved the mage i know he killed him but he's probably the only he was probably the person saddest to see him go absolutely he was it just hurts me that simon still had so like and he's so bereft at the loss Mm. of this man like and the idea that he he's responsible, this man that he like idolized, even though he did nothing. But he wouldn't let him kill Baz. Yeah. This is the thing that really got me. He put the mage's own wand at his heart. That whole scene. I love what Penny did, though. I love that she immediately clued in that nobody was listening to Simon and they really needed to listen to Simon. Mm. And she just did the best she could to make that happen. Like, talk about allyship. Talk about friendship. Talk about loving someone so much that you put your life out there for them like penny is the real mvp yeah and i mean like her and baz are not having a great time turning up there with all of (laughs) simon's magic like penny is throwing up in the corner it's just not a great time but also i just want to give a little shout out to matali buns who comes into this scenario and thinks she sees her daughter dead on the floor and yeah it's almost like this confirmation of expectation it's kind of like well i always expected the mage to ruin everyone's lives and yet here we are you know yeah I love that Premal was with them, though. That made me happy. But I also feel bad that he was so devastated. Mm. It's really hard when you lose a mentor, even a bad one, you know? Yeah. Both Simon and Premal. Like, I think they need to form a support group. Um, In a slightly lighter note, I think that Baz choosing to live by his own expectations instead of what his mother would have expected for him. That's a really beautiful moment where he goes down to, like, read his speech to her and tell her bones that he's going to... He's going to be who he is. It's on page 501. You came back and I missed you. And then I did the thing you wanted me to do. So you probably won't ever come back again. But I just wanted to tell you that I'm going to carry on. As I am. 
Don't let me be one of the things that keeps you from peace, mother. I'm all right. And it's just really beautiful. I know. I love that. It's such a nice piece of meaning making as well. Like he's making meaning of his entire year, right? Which has been so unexpected. And he's had this like trauma of this coffin situation. And then this like unrequited love that's suddenly not unrequited anymore. And now he's like doing this thing. He found out his mother was murdered by the mage. He ends the war. Props to you, Basilton. Yeah, he ends the war. No one talks yeah. about this enough. Like, we get one line of it from Penny and that's it. She's like, I hope Baz gets credit for ending the war. Yeah, and then he just comes to this place of self-acceptance, which is actually just really lovely. Which, you know, is contrasted against Simon, who is just completely rejecting herself. He's just decided that all of the things he always thought about himself were true, right? Mm. That he's a normal, that he doesn't deserve to have these nice things. I'm remembering back at the beginning where he's like, he admits to having this fantasy that he'd have rich parents who would come to get him and his dad would be a footballer and his mom would be one of those posh types and, oh, we were too young, but we never forgot about you, you know. Mm. He got this fantasy life for a while, but he's like, well, no, this is reality in any way you look at it. Like, it's a crap dream until it happens for real. Mm. And his apology to the humdrum is kind of part of that. Like, he's giving everything up, including that life, including that goodness, that that belonging that he was so hopeful for. He gives it all to the humdrum. And he apologizes and says, I'm sorry that all of the good stuff happened after I left you. Ugh. I know. I know. I have so many feelings and all of them are crying feelings. I just think these poor children, you know, they, like Agatha just expected that she was going to die as a kidnapping <laughs> victim and Baz just expected that Simon was going to kill him and he wouldn't survive it. And then Simon just never expected that he would live long enough to move out with Penny and neither did Penny really. Yeah. And they just like, yeah. now they have to survive, right? Oh, that's even worse. Well, this is the thing. What Like, what do you do? So I read Burnout this last week and it was so useful and it talked about the way that we don't complete our stress cycles so we're just often we're in a constant state of stress Mm. and thinking about this like they haven't really completed the stress cycle because they it just stopped halfway yeah all the expectations didn't really bear out in the right way and they don't they just sort of are like wondering what happened to the lion that was chasing them they don't really know there's no resolution so they don't have the like oh good we've killed the lion and now we're feasting on the corpse of the lion like they don't have that moment of Mm. like it is it is done it is resolved they're just hanging there like we're alive okay we've got to do something when you're in trauma therapy that's a big thing that you work through it's like this idea that you have to like basically escape the trauma right you're still living it you're still in it you haven't like completed the cycle which is why i think it's so fascinating on page 516 when simon says i don't feel like a trauma victim i feel like a house after a fire and sometimes i feel like someone who died but stayed in his body i'm like simon that is trauma that's what you're describing it's not escaping it you just have to like you said complete the cycle you have to close the book They have to make their own meaning to make it make sense for them. Like, that's a lot of what it is, right? Like, finding the way through. I loved that line. I kept going back to it. It was almost my in-depth because I loved it so much. Just the way that he talks about trauma. Also, there's a great parallel between him and Baz, right? Like, Mm. I feel like someone who died but stayed in their body. That's what Baz describes himself as all the time. Like, on page 500, he says, I would have been buried with her if I died that day. I mean, died properly. Yeah. I do think that Simon is right though that Baz isn't actually dead but that's a whole other argument they'll get there yeah eventually um Eb made a lot of meaning and I love the way that she just decides that because she's not a fighter she's gonna give up because she wants to protect the school like the fact that she died protecting the school was the meaning she was making and it was a sacrifice and I think it needs to be seen like that yeah I think you know she definitely thinks her death will have meaning and the same with Lucy I think Lucy thinks you know, the fact that Simon exists is enough meaning out of her life, right? But she didn't want to leave him. No, I just think death is tragic regardless of whether it's for the greater good or not. You know, it's a tragedy to lose these people. But And also the fact that the mage then just abandons Eb as soon as, like, he doesn't complete the spell. He doesn't try to take Eb's power. He's just like, oh, Simon's here, so I'll just leave Eb. Mm. It just hurts me that it was literally for nothing. It was for nothing. You know, her last thoughts is like, I decide this is for the best. This is for a reason. I hope someone remembers to bring their nannies home. And of course they don't. No. You know, it almost escapes, but she comes back because the mage decides that, oh, Agatha, you'll do. You know, you don't don't have much to give, but you'll do. And she's like, I can't believe I'm going to be murdered by this man who doesn't even know my name. (laughs) And then Eb comes back and Eb knows her name. She like calls her Agatha. And this is the thing. Eb says she doesn't have as many choices as she thinks she does. She never had the choices she thought she had. Eb has always been in this holding pattern. 
and I don't know if she's ever been happy, but she was okay where she was. And like, sometimes that's enough, right? Contentment. Yeah. Being allowed to be part of something that you love, even if it's not perfect, having a place there for you, even if it's not like, I mean, I think she would have loved to be able to talk to her brother more. I think she would have loved to have closer friends, but like, why wasn't Simon allowed to live with her over the summers? Honestly. Hmm. Like, why couldn't the Petties have adopted him too, you know? It doesn't, like, honestly, I don't, the mage, his decision making regarding Simon and, like, shipping him off to homes over the summer, even when he's already 18 years old, you know, it just doesn't make sense. I don't understand why you thought this was a good way to, like, hone your weapon, even if you thought of him as a weapon. Like, you needed to put more time into, like, mm-hmm. making him a, a functional human being. Instead, you were like, eh, you know, he'll call to me when he's ready. What, is he just magically gonna be ready? Like, what do you think's gonna happen here? I get so angry at people who aren't prepared to be parents and don't put the time in. <laughs> this is this is that for me. I just honestly think he never wanted to be a parent. Like I think he wanted a child. He wanted mm. the greatest mage, but he didn't want the he didn't want a child, you know? He wanted the power. So when he's yeah. doting on Lucy while she's pregnant, he's not trying to protect a baby. He's trying to protect this vessel for power. That's the only yeah. thing he sees. And I do think that he cared. Like I do think Lucy's right that he cared about both of them. So my, my take on this, my, my generous reading of this, is that he was very broken by Lucy's death. And that just led him to reform his idea. Like, he just went, okay, I've got to make meaning out of this. And that's where he was like, I'll put him with normals. And then when he manifests, because every kid manifests at a certain age, I will come and find him. And it will be the prophecy. Like, he couldn't just keep him. Mm. He just couldn't do it. He wasn't ready. He wasn't prepared. I think he'd really written off the whole idea of parenting to Lucy. And he would just turn up and be yeah. like... Yeah, I agree. A father figure occasionally who did the teaching. Like, he wasn't interested in raising a child. Tooth, yeah, and like potty training. And, and like, if Lucy had had him, it would have been a different life entirely. He would have been a different boy, right? Like, he wouldn't have had the insecurities and the self doubt and all these things. The thing with Lucy and the magic is that I think that the reason Simon's magic didn't work the way that it was supposed to is because it was forged with Lucy's. I think he took her magic. That was my read from that. And it always felt like it had been eaten away from her. She says that. But I really do think like it had just manifested in him and taken it all from her. Because we knew that she was very powerful and that her magic had gone thin in pregnancy. And I think that's why it didn't feel like his ever because it was too much. Like because he he had taken it from her, he could take it from everywhere, but it shouldn't have been like that. Maybe. I think he had his own magic, but it was just like augmented with hers. Right. So it was like this extra too much magic. And then he was like, because he had been manifested as this black hole that could just suck magic from others. He could just take. Which makes me think that Davy did the ritual wrong. Well, Davy's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I love when she says on page 490, you're the child we would have had anyway, Simon. You were ours in every way. And none of this is your fault. We made you this hungry. She takes so much responsibility for it. And the mage yeah. never does. Because maybe the mage in doing the ritual instilled some of his own hunger, right? Because he was so hunger mm. for power. Maybe that infused the, the spell so that he manifested this hunger in this child. We know that his wand never worked for Simon very well, because Simon just didn't even think to bring it with him, right? Mm. I wonder how different it would have been if Lucy's, like, if he'd used things that had belonged to the Salisbury's, right? Because it would have been more innate to his magic. And hers that he was carrying around. Speaking of wands, I just want to give a shout out to poor Agatha, who left her wand lying in the car because it didn't fit in her pocket. Give women pockets! It's literally costing lives here. (laughs) I was thinking, like, come on, Agatha, you are from a magical family. Like, you need to just get the harness thing that Baz has. Oh my goodness. Why has your mother not found a thing for you? I was just laughing at the absurdity of it all. Take it anyway! Like, take it anyway. Stick it in your back pocket. Stick it in your bra. Good grief. Like when my I got an iPhone from work and it fell out of my pocket because the pocket was too shallow because, of course, I'm a woman. So why would I have deep pockets? And I took it to IT and I'm like, it's not my fault. It's the patriarchy's fault. You can blame them. <laughs> and fair enough. Yeah. The fact that Baz thinks that the mage has killed Simon. Again. At that moment. It's just like, ah! The amount of time that Baz just thinks Simon is dead just blows my mind. It's because he's so scared of it happening. And Penny says the only sound is Baz's howls. I'm like, oh, Lord. 
And like the mage doesn't even care. He's just like beating on Simon. He's not checking to see if he's alive. He's like beating on his wings and being like, what did you do? Like, Mate, Give it to me. You're the worst. He is the worst. Baz should have killed him. <laughs> no, I'm glad Baz didn't because... Simon wouldn't have forgiven him. Narratively, he needed to die, but I'm glad that nobody actually did it. He did it to himself. That's what happened. Because yes. he yeah, doesn't... Yeah, yeah. So this was a just desserts, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, can we talk about the ball a little bit? I know it's a little bit off topic, but the way that they're talking and the way that Simon turns up, even though it's hard for him and he can't even get in, he has to get let in by Penny, but he turns up and he's wearing something nice and he doesn't want Baz to leave school without him. I think it's incredible that Baz goes back to school. Like he goes back to school after this thing has happened. Simon's not gone back. Penny's not gone back. I know they weren't really friends at school, so he's got his other friends. But still, you know, this this is a fundamental shift in their world. Like, this war no yeah. longer exists. The mage is gone. And Baz just goes back and I, like, finishes school. And It's wild that he does that. And, like, the way that Penny talks about it, how, you know, if maybe had Simon had gone back, she would have made an effort. But she couldn't even get over the drawbridge without getting sick. Mm. Like, she's having physical reactions. Her trauma is so great. And Baz is just like, yes, and I'm top of the class. There was no competition when Bunce didn't come back. Like, oh my god, Baz. Ice water for veins. Probably because Baz already had a very complicated relationship with the school, right? Like, he's yeah. already had the worst thing happen to him. So he's like, ah, oh, just another horror at the school. And when Simon mm. talks about, I wouldn't know where to look for the war if it wasn't at Watford, I'm like, this school is so unhealthy. Yeah, it's not a great place, right? Not a great educational environment. Anyway, I love that when they're at the ball, Simon admits that he was obsessed with them. And he says, you're the only thing I have left to lose. So as long as doing gay stuff in public doesn't make that happen like whatever i don't care he's so chill about it he just wants some cake i think there should have been cake at the leavers ball this is ridiculous absolutely he comes by that honestly poor simon like he just pushes like he just pushes bears and he just wants him he just believes that everyone's lying to him and everyone's taking pity on him and that everyone's gonna leave him and you know when he says i'm tired of waiting for it Ugh. i mean we'll get into this when we read wayward son but lord help me that's gonna be a good 10 weeks of just angst that's okay, we've got some time. <laughs> I can have a little bit more tangential marginalia. There's one thing Agatha says that every time I read it, it just makes me laugh. When she's in the mage's office and she's looking for him and she's like, oh, there's all this stuff taped on the walls. No, not even taped on the walls. It's stuck up there with magic. It's on page 461. Yeah. And this is exactly the sort of thing I'm sick of. Like, just use some tape. Why come up with a spell for sticking paper to the wall? Tape exists. And it just made me think of all the ways that like people complicate stuff needlessly. My in-depth marginalia because of that. <laughs> Is that so good? I think it's just the way that the mages rely on magic to make meaning of the world, right? And there's like almost no point mm. to mages if there isn't a magical solution. And Agatha's like, but why? Like, she really rails against that. Like life can have meaning without magic. You're just looking for meaning that doesn't need to be there. Like when she yeah, talks about yeah, yeah. trying to do manicures with Penny and, you know, she got distracted trying to come up with a way to do it magically. She's like, can we just be in the moment? We don't have to do this yeah. the magic way. It's still valid even without magic. Like she's actually, she's not wrong yeah. there. It's not healthy. The way the society has to hang everything with magic. but It's a real shame that she didn't stick around long enough to spend time with Simon afterward. Because I think they would have been really good. Because she was like, F magic. And he was like, well, I've got none. So that would have been great for both of them. Because she could have actually just hung out with him and done normal stuff. And it's all over now. So she doesn't have to worry about getting kidnapped or whatever. Yeah, they could have found a nice balance, right? To be of the magical mm. world, but not in it. But then I do think yeah. one of the reasons that she runs so far away and then she goes away for so long is I think it's the res residual of Ib's spell like Ib told her to run so she 100%. runs yeah I mean even when she's talking to Penny she's running around Penny and she's running back and forth she can't stop running mm. I love that I love that Ib's spell was so powerful that she was convinced it was the only thing she could do to save her own life and she feels bad about it. she's like I know that Penny will never forgive me but I needed to save my own life like good for you Agatha yeah she's taken agency which is the one thing she's wanted all along so in a way it's a victory yeah. for her and we see the shades of the person that she is, the animal lover that she is, right? Like, she picks this dog up out of the snow and she's like, I don't even know if it's alive or dead. I couldn't stop to sort it out. I just picked it up and kept running. Good on you, Agatha, because, like, Baz and Penny did not do well by this dog. <laughs> Penny possessed it. Baz considered eating it. They then abandoned it. <laughs> at least <laughs> at least the dog survived. Yeah, it's hard for Baz to be, like, sentimental about pets. So. The ones that do stick around don't like him. It's in the, the, the bit in the, is it the next? Oh, it's in the third book where the dogs are growling and he's like, good, smart dogs. Glad you figured it out. <laughs> good survival <laughs> instincts. Or the goats, right? <laughs> yeah. 
I think there was an expectation that the mage had about Eb as well. Just the last, this is the last thing I have. Um, he talks about her as being like so powerful, the brightest star in the realm next to Simon. Mm. Um, and he says, I've thought about making her redundant over the years. What does Watford need with goats? But she's powerful and she protects us full I'm away. And maybe that's true, but also the goats are part of that, right? Mm. So I want to keep that in mind for when we actually read anyway yeah. the wind blows. I think it's important because it shows just how nearsighted the mage is in everything that he does. Mm. Like he is one of those mm. people who abandons tradition for the sake of being modern and new and not recognizing that tradition has its place and its reasons for existing. Like not all traditions yeah. are good. No, I totally agree that there are some things that should stay in the past, but sometimes there is value and you can't just chuck it all out without thinking about it. There has to be a balance, right? Yeah. The hardest thing about the mage is that I agree with some of the things he says. Like, it makes me yeah. angry to agree with him. But, like, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, he's right about, like, letting other people into the school and not having, like, tests about who's strong and who's not. You know, like, don't exclude people. Don't make a cost barrier for them. That's the other thing. Like, he's right to tax the world of mages so that everybody can be awarded an education like it's annoying but he's not wrong but he's still mega exclusive about it like they're not being egalitarian yeah. about the society which is where we end up in situations where people like agatha and you know jamie later we'll find out and simon yeah. you know they feel really alienated from this world because the only thing they value still is is magic and power and all power. this stuff yeah um, the only other expectation I had was this expectation of what happens after school. Like Simon and Penny had this weird, like this vague plan to move in together, but then Simon also just expects her to move to America. Yeah. You know? And Baz is like, oh, didn't really have any plans. Shrug. I figured we would have to fight to the death. <laughs> I, for my tangential, I just want to give a shout out to Penny on page 464 when she says, I'd love to trust him. He's a brilliant magician and excellent company, but I can't. I love that she loves Baz's company. I like it too. And I like that she just immediately, once she realizes that he loves Simon, she's like, oh, okay, threat neutralized. Dink, you're in the circle. Like she just accepts him and it's fine. She's very good at that. She's very good at that. And also, oh, the other thing is Baz, you know, when he casts that spell to get them up to the attic and he says it's a hard spell and an old spell and it only works if you understand the great veil shift of the 16th century and if you're stupidly in love. That he does this in this moment of crisis, like he just pulls out this really difficult spell because he just he loves Simon so much. I can't cope with it. I underlined that, but I didn't put it down in my Marjorie because I was like, I can't transcribe the whole book. <laughs> but Lord knows we try. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Um, oh, I think there were a couple lines I just felt really that were really lovely. Mm -hmm. On page 466, when Simon is going to Watford, he says, It's in a tower I've never seen lit before. I've never even noticed a stained glass there. It looks like a crown or a cluster of stars. It's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then when Lucy's talking about being pregnant, she said, I felt you humming inside me, busy and bright. I felt flushed from my belly to my fingertips. I thought that was really nice, too. It feels like a fever, but I don't... It's just something about it. It's just really beautiful prose. And I just wanted to shout out the, the beautiful prose. Lovely. Did you have in-depth marginalia? I do. So my in-depth marginalia is page 461. So Agatha has gone to Watford to find the mage. And she's found a study in disarray, basically. Um, it's just missing the string from the Always Sunny meme. Like, he's stuck all these pages <laughs> on the wall. I do like that she says it looks like Penny's been there. Yeah, it's <laughs> just chaos. Messy. So, yeah, you've already read it, but I'll read it again. So page 461, mm. not taped, stuck to the wall with spells. And this is exactly the sort of thing I'm sick of. Like, just use some tape. Why come up with a spell for sticking paper to the wall? Tape exists. <laughs> I think it relates That's to so our funny. theme of meaning, because like I said, for a lot of mages, the only way they can make a sense of this world or make meaning of it is through magic. Like, it has to have magic. Otherwise, it's, if it's any normal non-magical method, that's just counterintuitive to them. You have to use magic mm -hmm. if you can. And for Agatha, the meaning she makes here is that everything that's wrong with the world of mages is, like, that it's too insular and self-serving. You know, like, yeah. she sees the value in normal things. And it relates to our theme of expectations that it because it conforms to how Agatha expects the mage to behave. She's like, of course he's going to like use magical methods to do this thing. He's like the embodiment of everything I despise about this world, right? I chose this section because I feel like I do this exact rant at work approximately five <laughs> times a week. I'm just always like, why have you done this? Why have you taken the most complicated way of doing this thing? There's a very simple method. There's another way of doing this. We use it all the time. Why have you come up with a new way? Especially some of my mm. colleagues, God bless them, but they love coming up with spreadsheets for no apparent reason for things that already exist. I'm like, why have you done this? Like, why have you written a 10 page document for this thing that already exists? I don't understand. I don't understand drives me absolutely wild and yeah it's just like 
why do we have to always complicate things and turn things into meetings and project planning when it is a simple five minute conversation? I don't understand why we do this. Like, what is the payoff here? You don't need to do it. And I just think of that yoga with Adrian video where sometimes she's like, all you have to do is like, you can just raise your, your palms and go namaste and just mm-hmm. namaste at that person and send them on their way. Oh, you have to do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah that's what's hard to let go of that. I love that. <laughs> that's what it calls me to do going forward. It's just like, be patient. People have their reasons for doing things and their own habits. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it's not how you would do it. And it doesn't make any sense, but it makes them happy. And like, at the end of the day, does it matter how long it takes you to get there as long as you get there? So like, namaste, <laughs> off you go. I will try <laughs> to be patient. But like Agatha, I just want to say, tape exists. It really does. Um, how about you? Did you have some in-depth marginalia? I did. Okay. Um, mine's gonna make me tearful, and I'm sorry. Um, so mine's you already read it actually. Yeah. It's on four ninety. It's the bit where Lucy is talking to Simon, or I guess telling the school because she doesn't have enough magic left to speak to Simon. She says, I saw you. I held you. I wanted you. That's what I came back to tell you. I loved you before I met you, and I loved you more the moment I held you, and I never meant to leave you so soon. Um, And this is Lucy telling Simon why she came back to see him. All she wants to do is to tell him that he was loved and he was wanted. And that when she met him, she loved him more. That he was this miraculous, amazing, beautiful, wonderful baby. And that's what she wanted. She wanted him. The way it relates to the theme is that it it pushes against the expectation that Simon has that he was a normal, Mm -hmm. a a fluke. It, It really, like, subverts that, right? Like, this was somebody who was wanted. This was a child who, in fact, was not cast off because he wasn't wanted. He was, like, only one of his parents let go of him, right? Mm -hmm. One of them was forcibly removed from his life by, I guess, illness or ambiguity. We're never going to know if the mage killed her or not, but... Well, maybe in the way he he dropped dead, he killed her, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Lucy was pulled thin by the magic being leached out of her. She's unable to say it in the way that she wants to. Like, she can't get him to understand her meaning. And she's trying so hard to. And that just really hit me this week. I think after having spent a week inside with my kids, I, you know, I'm a little tired and I'm a little cabin feverish. But, like, I love them more than ever. So, as a parent, like, of course this is just going to devastate me. Like, I think about the moment that my kids were born and, like, how hard their labors were and how much I wanted them even before they were born. Like, I... I didn't want to be a parent until I was like, until I was really ready. And then like, as soon as I wanted to be a parent, I was like, this is the thing I'm going to do with my life. It really did take me over. And I feel like that's how, if you're going to have kids, you should feel that way. Like you should really want it. Like you should want to raise a person to grow a person up. Like you should want that. And if you don't, then it's okay to not have kids. It's really fine. Um, And she really wanted to be a parent. Like she wanted to have this baby that she loved. And that's why she didn't say anything about how hard it was the pregnancy. So it just devastates me. The way that I'm going to use it going forward is I'm just going to try and listen to more of those I love yous. Like today, my daughter brought in some lemonade that she had made. And I was like, no, no, it's okay. Like if I made 10 drinks around me. And then I was like, no, no, I have to accept this. Like she made this for me and it it makes her feel better that I accept it. So I'm just going to remember to listen to the I love yous because they don't, they aren't always said in that way. Sometimes it's, can I get you something and let me put a blanket on you. And sometimes it's, look at this, look at this, look what I drew. And yeah. It's not always what we hear. It's um, sometimes it's in the other things. So yeah, that's what I'm gonna I'm gonna try and listen to more of those I love yous. That is so lovely. No, I get it. Like when I was transcribing <laughs> it, it really just hit me in the feels because when she's yeah, just when she says you know, it just gets me so much. Well, I think you have a, a position of being a kid who was really wanted as well, right? It's just when she said, "I never meant to leave you. I never would have left you." Because he oh, just yeah. thinks he's unwanted. He th- because of what he believes about himself and the fact that she can't tell him these things, it just is really, really difficult. And yeah, you, you know, my parents, I'm an only child and I'm an only child because it was a, a difficult pregnancy. So, yeah. You get the benefit of being a very wanted child. You were always wanted, which is great. I think every kid should feel like they're an absolute gift. Well, apparently my name, my full name was chosen because it does mean God's gift, but it's also a family name. So I don't really believe that story. That's just what my parents tell me. (laughs) Mine means cascade and also God's gift. So yeah, I think just all names mean that. (laughs) Actually, my my daughter's name is very literal. It it, it literally means what it is. And then uh, my son's is an old Welsh name, which means like ruler. So ruler, protector. Yes. Did you have a character you wanted to spotlight for this section? 
Yeah, I I want to spotlight Eb Petty. She gave her life for a kid mm. who didn't even want to know her, and she considered it fair. She was okay with it. She decided not to fight anymore because she wasn't a fighter. She had all this power, and she probably could have won, but she just decided it wasn't worth it. It was going to be okay if she let herself go. It was worth it to save one life. She was overlooked and ignored, and she was powerful, and she was wonderful, and she was made of love, and she deserves a freaking statue. Like, she is an incredible human and deserved better. If we could be like any one person from this book, I think being like Eb would be a good goal. That is amazing. How about you? Who did you want to spotlight this time? I have decided to spotlight Simon just because he absolutely loses everything he knows in this section. And it is <laughs> yeah. so devastating to me. It's devastating that he has these beliefs about himself that he feels is confirmed. We've just said it breaks my heart that he doesn't know what his mum wants to tell him. He just doesn't know. And he just has no way of being corrected on that. He has no way of ever finding that out. And he is just so lost and it hurts me. And I just need to give him a big, big hug. <laughs> I know, right? He's the oh Bobby. <laughs> oh Bobby. Oh gosh. Well, okay, so now we've finished the book. We've made it to the uh, end. Um, how do you feel about our theme of expectations? I think it's really interesting to see how each character's expectations have tracked throughout this text. Mm. First of all, we have all these expectations about who Baz is, right? And then as soon as he arrives, they're completely blown out of the water because you find out that he actually has been secretly in love with his roommate <laughs> the whole time, even though they're enemies. So I love that. I love that he had no expectations, but he had so many of these wonderful rewards. Mm. Simon had expectations and like the way that it all ended up, like it was amb ambiguous enough that they sort of bore out, right? Mm. He wanted to be part of it. He wanted his last year to be at Watford, but he didn't even get to finish it because all of these terrible things happened. So like the worst expectations came true for him. I think the mage expected the impossible and was unable to get it. And I think Lucy kind of did too. Like I think she almost expected the mage to be a different person. Yeah. And he just couldn't in the end. She loved his potential. Like she loved what she saw, yeah. the possibility of what he could be rather than who he was. And I think a lot of us make that mistake. Like I've certainly made that mistake. For sure. And, you know, she did her best to make it work. And it's, she's a hard one, right? Because like her mother love is so big, but also like, you have terrible taste in man, Lucy. Run away. Listen to Matali. <laughs> I know, Mattel's not wrong. Um, my favorite, though, is probably Penny. Penny's always expecting things to go a certain mm -hmm. way, and she doesn't really ever change her expectations, but they never actually go the way that she says that they should. Like, she's very definitive. She's like, this is what happens, but, like, half the time it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> she's just repeating what her mom has said or repeating what she thinks she knows to be true. Like, she's very confident, but I don't think that she's right all of the time, which is really interesting. How about you? How did you feel about how we went on with expectations? Yeah, I definitely agree with all of you said. I also just think something that really struck me is there's just this potential for unspoken expectations to be have absolutely devastating consequences on people. Like, mm -hmm. the way these kids just fall into these roles that they think are expected of them and then suppress their own identities and their own impulses impulses to be you know to be who they want to be to become these people that they think they should be and also the way that the world of mages conforms to these expectations and people then have to like fit into these roles if they want to be part of this world and in the end it just hurts everyone like it just makes people oh, yeah. feel alienated and afraid like Baz is so afraid of being rejected from this world right because he's so worried of being found out as a vampire and like even like the fact that he's gay you know like he worries about that and he's just like all these things yeah. and Penny never says it but there's these expectations that you know she'll be a high achiever of course she'll go on and do amazing things because her mum is amazing right but then you see her dad yeah. who is not high powered and he has to kind of like carve a niche for himself in this role and people like yeah. scorn his lack of abilities and of course we'll see this play out later which is why I'm so excited to carry this theme through all of the books yeah yeah I think it's gonna be great oh I can't believe I forgot to talk about Agatha <laughs> oh Agatha she's the only one who completely like kicks over the expectations and just goes no to heck with that I'm yeah. gonna do my own thing and she has such expectations on who she should be right like she's the kind of the crown prince princess of this world like everyone has her peg yeah. and she just goes nah I'm gonna run away to California but I you know when yeah. she thinks about sending the photo to Simon I'm just like please do it Agatha you'll need that later please uh, yeah does it stay in California I think it might end up staying because she comes back in a big dang hurry yeah anyway yeah so many expectations in this book that it's just been really fun to track them and to see how people react to what they're 
they're meant to be or not meant to be. Mm. I love seeing Baz kind of getting over what he thinks his mother's expectations are. And look, I still think he's wrong. I think you're right that his mom would not expect him to be destroyed simply because of what he is. But it's such a delicious piece of writing that talks about acceptance for difference that can't be changed that's really it's a fresh take on like oh your gay kid wants you to love them anyway right yeah and i think it's interesting that he's already come to this kind of this moment of strength at the end of this right like he's kind of confronted that he's spoken to his mom he said his piece like he feels like he can move on with that now and we'll see how that changes him as he goes and just once you accept that you don't have to fit into someone's expectations what that means for you like as an individual mm. yeah did you have a favorite marginalia for the whole book? I did. So I chose page 364, which is the bit when Simon and Baz are in the pitch library. And Baz says, you know, he held himself up on all fours above me and made me reach for his mouth. And I did. I would again. I'd cross every line for him. I'm in love with him. And he likes this better than fighting. I just really love this line. Like, I love the line, I'd cross every line for him. Like, sometimes in my head, I just sometimes think of that. It just lives in my head rent free. And I just, I love this little bit. <laughs> You're going to love mine. It's like the same spirit of yours. What so it? mine's on page 176 and it's when he's come back and he's finally about to go to sleep and he notices Simon sleeping in his bed across from him and he's talking about his time in the coffin with the numpties and he says, and when I felt myself slipping too far, I held on to the one thing I'm always sure of blue eyes, bronze curls, the fact that Simon Snow is the most powerful magician alive, that nothing can hurt him, not even me, that Simon Snow is alive, and I'm hopelessly in love with him. So good. It's so good because all we have is this guy's my enemy and where is he and what's he doing and then he comes back and he's like "Ugh, I can't deal with you right now and then it's like by the way I secretly love you with the fire of a thousand suns and everyone goes crazy it's just how I just love it so much it's so good it's such a good reveal I remember the first time I read it I was like wait what I know it's so good it's like all of our dreary dreams have come true but in the <laughs> best way and because it takes so long to turn up like I forget how long it, it's quite you know it's halfway through the book before we really get his perspective yeah, right? is it like the fifth episode or something yeah. The fifth, the f yeah yeah so it's like literally halfway so we've listened to Simon talk about how evil this guy is and then he turns up and he's like oh yeah the thought of Simon Snow is the only thing keeping me alive. It's like, oh, okay. Sure, Bears. These idiots. These idiots, indeed. Um, okay, so who's your overall character spotlight then? Okay, uh, no surprise, it's Lucy. Mm -hmm. She deserved better. I love her so much. I love that she comes back specifically to tell her kid that she loves him and she wanted him and that he was all she wanted. That like is like mom catnip to me. So I'm here for it. And also I really understand what it's like when you care about somebody in a really complicated way. Like I really do think that her love was the best thing about Davy. Like she was the best thing about him. And once she was gone, there was nothing left to be good about him. She has that gift of seeing the best in everyone and she saw the best in him and there was no one left to see it when she was gone and he didn't have anyone to kind of guide him and Simon didn't have anyone to love him the way that he deserved to be loved so like I think everybody deserves to have a Lucy in their life who will see them for the best version of themselves and love them the most hmm. so yeah that's my my book spotlight is Lucy how about you who's your book spotlight I've decided to spotlight Baz um I just think he starts off in such a traumatic place. You know, we find out he's been in a coffin. He also, like, misses his mum. You know, someone he hasn't... Yeah. You know, he, she comes on a visitation. He doesn't get to see her. He has this unrequited love that he thinks is just going to doom him. And then, yeah, all of that sort of comes to a head. And he has to, like, deal with all these rapid changes in his life. And then he has to go back to school and finish a year despite all these things that have happened. And despite it all, he started to really accept himself. Despite all of these yeah. crazy things happening, he's really gotten to a point where he can go, no, you know what? I'm just going to deal with what I am and like make meaning of what I yeah. have rather than what other people expect me to be. And I just think that's beautiful. I think that's the best that all of us can do is like our lives are going to be difficult and things are going to happen to us. But you have to find that strength within yourself and you have to find that love for your self within all of that and I just want to give Baz a big hug as well as everyone who's going through that kind of like massive change and like that time of your life especially when you're like 18 19 and trying to figure out who you are that's a tough time so yeah well thank you so much Jen for highlighting Baz he needed it he's very deserving and he does do so much good growing this time mm -hmm. we're gonna be taking a short break but I promise you guys won't even miss us that's just how good we are 
We would like you to stay tuned, though, because we have an upcoming one-shot mm-hmm. where we're going to be watching Strictly Ballroom whoop, whoop. with a guest. Yeah. Another friend of Gen V's, because Gen V has all of the awesome friends. Okay. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fun. What else do we have coming up? Uh, well, we're going to go into season seven, and we'll be reading Anna and the French Kiss by Stephanie Perkins um, with the overarching theme of youth. And I think Yay! this is going to just be a nice, real chill one for us. I think we have earned this. It'll be a bit of a change for us to just do kind of like pure romance. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. Time to push ourselves and get out of the trauma valley and into just some nice, fun yeah. Parisian times. Listen, we love trauma valley, but it's time for us to go into the, the foothills of love. You're right. Just a little, just a, as a little treat. Also, we get to think about all of the fun times we had in Paris for our one day where we hung out together, That's which true. was really fun. It was lovely. It's like a beacon of joy. Back, remember when we used to travel? Remember that? That's the Back last then. time I saw you in person. <laughs> no, it wasn't because after that I came for your birthday. Your birthday was after that. Oh, so that was 2016. Yeah, that's and right. 2017 was your party. Oh, that's I thought right. about that too, and I was like, wait, no, we've actually seen each other once more <laughs> since then. Oh dear. Oh, well, thank you for crying with me over this book. Oh, you know. <laughs> and also potting with me. <laughs> You're very welcome. I'm just happy to share my feelings, of which I have many, many about these characters. So that's good. I'm so emotional about it still. Thank you. I love this time with you and I love you and I'm glad we do this. Me too. It's really, really a highlight every time. Well, um, I guess I'll see you soon. Yeah, talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginally Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginally Pod on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com.